Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan. I am a certified solution-focused life coach, certified positive psychology coach, autistic parent of two neurodivergent kids, and I'm very happy that you are here. Today, we have a great podcast in store. I'm talking to a long-term friend of the podcast and uh, certified neurodiversity coach, Jacqueline Corsi. Jackie is the owner of her own life coaching business and helps autistic youth and young adults um, as they sort of enter the world and need to develop those adulting skills. So we're going to be talking to Jackie in a minute about the upcoming holiday season and how to develop um, your own skills around making the holiday the way you want it, Um, setting boundaries, organizing, using those executive function skills, and really getting the holiday to be not overwhelming, but a time for kind of growth and connection with your family, which is something I think we all want. I think it'll be a really interesting conversation, and I'm really glad you're here. Before we dive into that, I just want to thank, as always, my patrons for supporting this podcast. We could not do it without you. Patrons give money every month between $1 and up, U.S. to support the podcast, support transcription services for the podcast, and to put money in the pot for scholarship coaching clients, um, which is very needed. As many of you know, a lot of autistic and other disabled folks are on uh, disability or low income. And so having a pot enables us to offer services to those folks who really need them, but may not have the financial income to support those services for themselves right now. So we really appreciate the our patrons. They do everything for us. If you'd like to join and become a patron, please check out patreon.com slash neurodiverging. All the information is there, how to join and you know what you get when you join. Um, we have lots of different perks for joining at different tiers, and those perks are going to be upgraded uh, in the next month or two. So stay tuned for that, we have some really good stuff coming up. Thank you for your consideration and thank you for listening to the podcast. Welcome to the Neurodiverging Podcast, Jackie. I'm so glad you're here. Friends, Jackie Corsi is the owner of Sacred Space Coaching and she is an ADHDer and a certified neurodiversity family coach and group coach and also an Asperger Autism Network certified Asper coach. Jackie has been a friend of the podcast for like almost since its birth, really. And I've been so appreciative of her support through this whole process. And now she's here and we're going to have a conversation today about the ways that, can I can I sum this up quickly? The ways that being a neurodivergent person as a woman or as somebody who's from a traditionally underprivileged space or, or group, um, the ways that those things intersect that you may not have thought of and the ways that um, presenting as a, a, a woman uh, in society and also being autistic or ADHD or or having some other sort of neurodivergent traits um, can, they intersect in all sorts of interesting ways. And I, I often find that clients don't quite uh, come in with a handle on it and just noticing those things can be really valuable. So that's, that's our conversation today. Jackie, could, before we kind of dive in, would you like to say anything about your background and, and kind of what you do and Absolutely. Space coaching. <laughs> Absolutely. I coach autistic adults and lately it's been, my practice is growing to be mostly professionals mm-hmm. who are trying to get the workplace stuff um, right, you know, to not be as stressed. And part of it can come down to like the months we're leading into, like all that you're responsible for the year end on a job. And then all that you as a female are responsible at home with the holidays coming. Mm -hmm. But I love coaching 
uh, adults and am happy to be here with you today. And I am an ADHD or I can identify with <laughs> so much of this topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Jackie and I were talking about this in context of the, the, the Christian holidays are coming up. Um, and, uh, whether you are Christian or not, especially if you're in Western Europe or the Americas, uh, that culture sort of takes over (laughs) towards the late fall. Um, and even if you're not yourself practicing, um, there's, you know, work stuff, like work parties, holiday things come up kids uh end of december like concerts and parties at school come up um and there's just and then if you are practicing there's you know gift giving and seeing relatives you don't see and all these burdens that kind of come up at the end of the year um and a lot of them become an extra burden right we call this intersections right when you're uh, part of two minority groups or two groups that traditionally don't have a lot of power and so in this case this might be if you're autistic and a woman or if you're adhd and you're non-binary but you're socially constructed as a woman right um and so it's important i think to talk about the specific burdens that are being taken by people like us um and how if you're if you're neurodivergent thinking about that and really understanding that kind of intersection can help you um, draw better boundaries and communicate better with your friends and your family and your partners and your work people and every, everybody, everybody. And so. it's big, a big deal to talk about this right now because you have to give yourself some messaging mm-hmm. because society is bombarding you with a certain kind of, of messaging. And just before we started taping, you and I were talking about the expectations we see in commercials or family members for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. holidays of, you know, the guy sitting on the couch watching the game or around the barbecue smoking mm-hmm. cigars or something. And as if we're going to be in the kitchen with our yeah. aprons on cooking mm-hmm. and making that special pie and photographing it. And, you know, these society is giving us these messages from when we're very little yeah, and we'll feel a lot of anxiety around that, about having it look nice and be perfect in, uh, even in households that are more equally divided in their, in their, er, what, you know, the jobs are going to do, you know, the, the, the projects still the, studies have shown that women feel more responsibility and anxiety around it, that I could be talking to my partner about how things look and we could agree that are, you know, several rooms need to be picked up mm-hmm. and we agree on what that would look like, but I'm going to have a lot more anxiety around it. Mm-hmm. And the typical woman is going to have more anxiety around that than her partner will. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think we both have so much to say on on this topic. Also, I just want to welcome Leo to the podcast. So if you hear him chirping here, that's, Mm. that's, that's my kitty. Um, he looked right up. Um, I think also, so you were talking about the, just, just now you were talking about like the commercials and this idea of like the women in the kitchen and the men in front of the TV. And I know a lot of people think that's highly stereotypical, but I'm, uh, in my late thirties, I'm from an Italian American family and Mm -hmm. was socialized as, as a girl, as a woman growing up. And so I, uh, when I grew up, (laughs) we would all gather, like the big Italian American family would gather for the holidays, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for birthdays, for Easter, for those kinds of things. Most of my family was Catholic, Italian Catholic. And it really was all of the aunts and the grandparent 
my, my grandmother and um, us kind of girls in the kitchen after the meal, cleaning mm-hmm. and putting things away and like organizing and running the dishwasher and all of that. And all of the men, all the uncles, all the grandfather, everybody in front of the TV, either watching TV or taking a nap, <laughs> taking a nap was yeah. kind of his, like part of part of our family culture was after the meal, like some people. And it was even the boy cousins and my cousins now, I would say are for the most part, you know, everybody's different, but for the most part, very equitably minded young men, they, they're not the kind of people that I think are putting a lot of pressure on their wives to like, they are, to my knowledge, all heterosexual, they're all partnered to women. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't think of them as the kinds of people who are going to be putting a lot of pressure on their wives purposefully to like, keep right. things clean and keep things cooked. But we're all, we were all socialized in the same, in literally in the same house, in the same mm-hmm. way, where they saw you know, the people who are socialized as women and girls doing this labor, whereas they, as the socialized men and boys got out of that labor. Right. Um, And so even if you think like, oh, the commercials are stereotypical, right. Or the, you know, you look at the TV and you're like, oh, but we don't do it that way. A lot of us have this upbringing where we're kind of trained to perform in a certain way. And even if we opt out of that training, there, there can still be this internalized anxiety around it. Yeah. Absolutely. And whatever it is we're doing in our own homes, if we are in traditional marriages, we are four times as likely to be doing all the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the statistics are there that that's just what happens. Mm -hmm. And um, our counterparts are not as involved in it. Yeah. So, and and I, I, we could have been in houses next door to each other, Catholic, (laughs) you know, in Michigan, Detroit area with all the aunts. And I remember I was teaching my kids, my girls to be part of that Mm -hmm. fold before I started thinking about it, of Mm -hmm. learning how to bake in the kitchen while the rest of the women were around and feeling that energy. And then all the guys napping or watching TV and, Mm -hmm. you know um, chat, chatting it up while we were in there doing, and then we'd be right back in there cleaning up afterwards and, yeah, and yeah, doing the purchases, doing the cleaning to get ready, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, um, one thing I'll just say sort of earlier in the podcast, as Leo makes himself comfortable is mm-hmm. that, um, we, Jackie and I were talking about this, um, before, again, before we hit record about, uh, sort of, what kind of depending on your your interest and your um attention to sort of the developing <laughs> rhetoric around gender and sexuality nowadays there's lots of different um approaches to how we think about gender and sexuality and how how we identify as people um but something that i think it's important to just make clear is that when we say women we're you know whether you identify as a woman or not that's like you're, you know, that's on you. Um, I'm a non-binary person, right? So I'll use me as an example. I identify as a non-binary person. I don't identify as a woman or a man, but I am perceived as a woman, right? Um, that's just societally, regardless of what I do and how often I come out and I say, I'm a non-binary person. Um, when people see me in the grocery store, when people see me with my children, especially, um, when people see me, you know, on this, on this YouTube, I've had a couple of interviews, um, where, or, or even conversations with people who I feel like know me very well and still sort of misgender me. And I'll say, you know, oh, actually I'm not. Um, and it's fine. I'm not like offended by it because I know I'm perceived as a woman, right? I have long hair. I have some traditional sort of quote unquote feminine 
aspects. So the reason I bring that up is because mm -hmm. it's important to understand the difference between how you identify and, and what you think of, of gender and sexuality, which may be totally one thing, but to still understand that there is a, a society that is going to construct you based on its own norms and that you're going to be perceived in a certain way. And so you might be buying into some of those norms kind of subconsciously without thinking of it. So I'm, I'm not a woman, but I have a lot of anxiety around how my house looks. Um, mm -hmm. I think about when my kids are behaving a certain way that I'm going to be perceived as the mom and somebody who should keep my kids' behavior under control right. in a right. way that their dad is not judged, right? I'm judged for how they behave. Their dad is not as much judged. I'm judged for how the house looks. Their dad is not as much judged, right? Um, when, whenever there's, Jackie, you mentioned like cleaning for holidays and getting presents and stuff. I'm the present giver in my family and yeah. their dad and I have explicitly discussed that. And like, you know, it, it's an, it's an equitable solution to our particular approach, but it's still a very gendered role. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if a present doesn't go right, or if I miss something, it's like my fault as opposed to a gap in, you know, our communication or something. So there's a lot of ways that gendered expectations affect um, individual people, regardless of how those individual people identify. And I just sort of wanted to bring that up early um, so that when, as we're referring shorthand to like women, you know, that you can be thinking about women as a socially constructed role, as opposed to individual people who may or may not identify as such. So I hope that makes sense. I welcome questions. You can email me, <laughs> you know, there's lots of good resources about this kind of stuff. So, yeah. And I love that you brought that up just also because it, it, it can help us all pause and think about what do I want that really to look mm -hmm. like in my life? Not what, you know, the, what I've been taught I should be doing. How do I take my life back? But how do I take, especially thinking about that as we get extra extras, <laughs> I always yeah. call them extra extras right now with all <laughs> those extra responsibilities mm -hmm. that come with the next couple of months. How do I take that back and have it be what I want it to be. And I'm always big on statistics with, I was just reading up only 25% of women um, say they can relax during the holidays mm -hmm. at any point on any one day. Yeah. Oh, 75% feel like they cannot. Yeah. You know, let's take that back. Let's, mm -hmm. let's change what that looks like for us, not only for us, but the, our young are watching us mm -hmm. and learning from us on how to do this. Yeah. And if we don't want that to be their life, when they leave the nest, then we've got to show them a different way. Yeah. I think that's such an important piece too. And I'm, I'm constantly talking to clients who are struggling to make changes for themselves. But when I point out that if they can make this change, then they're demonstrating it to their kiddos yeah. um, and, and they're de demonstrating a positive or, or more mentally healthy approach to whatever the problem is to their kiddos. That sometimes just flips the switch right away because we want our children to have the best lives they can and to be as yeah. well as they can. And so, but, but to do that, we have to actually demonstrate that for ourselves. And that's hard, like, mm -hmm. especially again, as women socialized to give up our own time and our own energy for other people. Um, it's, it's hard to take that time and energy back for ourselves, even when we're doing it for really good reasons. So what helps me is knowing that families and relationships are healthier and happier when the responsibilities are shared. Absolutely. That, that mm -hmm. the families that are functioning in that way, everyone is more content mm -hmm. and feels like they're 
getting what they need out of those relationships. So I love that. And I love that again, for my daughters and sons that are watching me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I thought of something else when you're talking about when you're at the store with your kiddos and people are watching how you're going to handle misbehaviors or (laughs) moments. Right. And I'm thinking like, I felt that judgment my family's neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. And so there can be extra moments of hyperactivity, or I remember being in the store when um, my son was uh, in target on the bottom of the cart mm-hmm. and uh, swimming down yeah. the aisle. I have been there in that exact know, circumstance. Yeah. Cartwheeling down the aisle <laughs> where the store owner's looking like, oh my God, you know, mm-hmm. woman, do something about this. And I'm thinking, He's really accurate. He's fine. I love it. (laughs) But I mean, they're looking at me differently than they were looking at my partner about, you know, take this on Mm -hmm. and, you know, handle it. So there's just, there's a lot there that we have to untangle for uh, us and for the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. For For my family, we definitely have a little bit of of, uh, extra activity and energy, but we have a lot of vocal stims in my family. Um, all like all of us really. Um, but especially the kids and also me, because I wasn't identified until late, I had learned to mostly suppress vocal stimming um in kind of public areas. Um, though I do it a lot at home. But my kiddos, I am so pleased to say, don't suppress um vocal stims awesome. out of the house in almost every case. But that does mean that people look at us, right? And it's mm-hmm. like my kid can be totally happy, you know, there's no agitation, threat of violence, concern, and there's still very little. They're you know, pre-puberty. So they don't appear like, you know, when my boy's a little older, I will worry about people thinking he's going to be violent or something. But at this age, we're pretty safe and we're, you know, protected because we're white people. (laughs) So there's that too. Um, But, you know, people look at me and they're like, you know, why is your kiddo trilling or whatever? And it's not that loud and it's not aggressive and it's not in anyone's way. So I'm like, why, why are you judging us for this? But they're going to judge me in a way that they don't judge the kiddo's father, because I don't think fathers are um, assumed to be in control of their children's behavior, um, in the ways that many people perceived as mothers are going to be. Um, and that's again, like a, like, and their dad is very in tune. (laughs) Like they have a really good dad. Um, so, you know, the, the stereotype hurts him as well, right? It's not just that it's hurting women, it's hurting everybody. Um, because he's expected to not be in good connection and good relationship with his kids the way that I am. Right. Um, but that means when I fail to be in perfect connection with my kids, I'm judged way more harshly than he is, um, when he fails to be in perfect connection Mm -hmm. with his kids. Um, and that's just, you know, that's, and, and you um, hit on something else when you were saying, and we're white, mm-hmm. um, because I don't know if you and I have talked about this, but my four kids are yeah. adopted and mm-hmm. one of them born in your state of Colorado. And, but we've had to have those conversations too, when my youngest is out as a now, you know, six foot four looks mm-hmm. like to be a man. Yeah. and is stimming and, and say, mm-hmm. I'm worried about you. Like someone, you know, could yeah. hurt you or arrest mm-hmm. you or whatever, because you're moving in a certain way, having the best time of your life, but society puts some judgments and, and we don't know, you know, we've had to have those talks about yeah. safety and, and I hate those talks. I hate yeah. having to have that, but I mean, just they're in extra danger and mm-hmm. extra worry for sure. Yeah. 
for sure. And I mean, that's why I think talking about the layers of oppression mm-hmm. are so important and that, you know, being socialized or or understood to be a woman is is kind of one aspect, right? Being somebody who's not white is another aspect. Being, you know, a, an immigrant from somewhere is another yes. aspect. Being trans or LGBTQ umbrella is another aspect, right? And so we're protected in some ways and we're open to additional harm in other ways. Um, and it's important, I, I guess I'm just trying to say it's important to acknowledge that, that there are sort of differences in everybody's experience based on those layers of what's going on right and so I'm a queer person I'm non-binary but I'm also white I make enough money and I have a lot of education so you know that's not to say that I those privileges solve everything for me but the same way the privileges support me a lot some of those other things um open me up to harm being neurodivergent opens me up to harm right in in another way so I would love to talk a little bit more about more specifically the intersections you've experienced as an ADHDer who's a woman. Like, where do you find, especially, I guess we're focused on the the kind of upcoming holiday period. Have you noticed any specific places where being ADHD on top of kind of womanhood or vice versa um, has exacerbated like concerns you have about the holidays or those pressures? I come into it super anxious and worried about looking like I'm doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, especially as a woman of um, kids that don't look like me. Mm-hmm. So it, like that mom role of looking for the, for the black community, for the white community, like we've got this healthy family. So, yeah. um, you know, trying to show we have, we have a lot of joy, but trying to, you know, show our best aspects. Mm-hmm. So I just feel a lot of anxiety around it. And then the holidays of, getting it right with my executive function all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there have been years, there was a year, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago where I actually had purchased presents on sale early, put them in a cabinet and totally forgot when it was time to come back out. I feel re-purchased. like that, that's almost stereotypical, <laughs> but it's yeah. how often it all, it happens to us. Like that I've done, uh, my mother has done that. I've, yeah. I've done that. <laughs> like it's almost a, a stereotypical uh, neurodivergent woman thing to do. Yeah. I'm very, I love stere- it. I'm very stereotypical. Not in a bad I've way, but just in a, it means you're not alone, right? It means other people are doing the same thing. Squirrel, right? Yeah. I've stopped a meeting and shown people that there was this beautiful squirrel in my yeah. yard. So, but it's like the executive function really um, gets in my way mm-hmm. during this time. I yeah. What I do is I just become, you know, grumpy and anxious. And um, what I'll what I'll do personally is... I will actually have people over because it stimulates my brain to clean up mm-hmm. and get everything, all my ducks in a row yeah. on purpose. And my partner will say, why are we doing this? Why are you having some couples over when it stresses you out? And it's like, well, cause I know I have this list of things that I feel like I have to do. And now I have a deadline, mm-hmm. you know, by six o'clock on Friday, everything's gotta be done. Yeah. You know? I enjoy the holidays, but I feel very nervous because there's so many extra uh, items on mm-hmm. the list and I wanted everyone around me to be content. And so yeah. it's stressful. <laughs> Just thinking about it right now, it's stressful. And oh, no. I tried to put it off and then you go into Walmart or Target and the decorations are already up 
and it gets your brain thinking about it. And if I ruled the world, we'd like have all these holidays once every three years. You yeah, know? <laughs> that sounds about perfect, just, honestly. Then we just put it away. You know? Yeah. Oh gosh, the time, the way that at least my brain experiences time too. Yeah. I, I really hear that. Didn't I just put it away? Because I went through this phase a couple of years ago where I was like, oh, it would be nice to decorate the house like quarterly. Like, so for each mm-hmm. season, we have a different, because I am somebody, I'm learning this about myself. I used to think I just didn't like clutter and I didn't like stuff. And it's because I was overwhelmed by it. But now I'm yeah. kind of leaning into the maximalist kind of thing where I like clutter and I like stuff. I just need it to be, I need to know where it is. I need to have mm-hmm. stuff in front of my eyeballs, that kind of thing. And so I was like, oh, we'll decorate the house quarterly. And then I very quickly realized that like, even though quarterly sounds like every, every three months, that's plenty of time putting stuff away every three months was just not possible. And so like mm-hmm. when I was looking for our Halloween decorations this year to help the, like, so the kids could put them out, some of them were still out. <laughs> they had just been sort of pushed back into corners because I had just never like been able to yeah. set up the systems I needed to get things put away or to get things taken back out. And yeah. um, that's, I, I kind of just decided this is not a priority for me and that's fine. So that's okay. And I gave up on the quarterly thing. It's really interesting because when you were talking, it seems like a lot of your anxiety is around other folks' perceptions of you. Yeah. And I am definitely concerned about other people's perceptions of me, but I'm also not great, frankly, at noticing mm-hmm. other people's perceptions right away. Like it takes some pointing out. Um, so when I think of the holidays, I do think somewhat of all the stuff I just talked about, about being judged for as a, as a housekeeper, quote unquote, which I'm not like I'm not a housekeeper, but I'm seen as the housekeeper of our yeah. house. Right. And yeah. as a mother and as all these things, but what comes up for me is like all the organ, like the executive function, like you were saying, mm-hmm. all the organization, like figuring out what do the kids want? What's on their list? Who's getting it for them? When are we celebrating? What do I have to clean things? Um, even, you know, my kiddos are, are anxious and one of them has high, high, high anxiety. And so I need to monitor, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I need to co-regulate with them 24 seven. Um, I need Mm -hmm. to be very, uh, interactive and very careful in regulating their energy while they're learning to do it for themselves because they're still very young. Um, I'm the stay at home parent. So that's my job. Um, their dad does it when he's here, but he's not the stay at home parent. And so it's a traditional female role that ends up falling to me. And then when I get it wrong, like when I, think that they have the energy and I push them to do something. And then it like, yes. it's disaster. It can take the whole household a week to recover easy. And mm-hmm. then I always feel like it's my fault because I misjudged, you know, where my kiddo was emotionally. And it's like, I know consciously that I'm doing my best and this is not, you know, this is a challenging situation and all these things, but I think it's, that's a piece of being socialized as a woman and also being neurodivergent mm-hmm. for me where it's not like a perception of other people, but my own perceptions of my abilities and my own like feeling this pressure is this internal pressure of the family. And this is huge in the holidays because like you're asked to go to all these things. Yeah, <laughs> Like you're asked to go to all this school stuff and all this work stuff and all this, like even just opening presents in the morning can be so, uh, I'm making a fluttery motion with my hands if you're listening on audio because it, it stresses me out because the kids yeah. get so wired that yeah. it can take days for them to settle again. And even though it's a positive experience, it's like it throws, it's like emotionally challenging and executive function challenging. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was just really and interested. We, mm-hmm. And we feel that need to like be enjoying it. 
and we're yeah. not necessarily enjoying it. And I was identifying, as I'm sure some of the audience can, that everything you were thinking about for your youngins also can apply to us mm-hmm. of all those parties. Oh my God, there's times I just shut down and I can't handle those parties. And I oh, yeah. told people I was ill mm-hmm. because I just couldn't handle all of that. Yeah, I've learned over the years, it's a joke with people that know me that there's an end time to my gatherings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember one time not having it and people were still at the house at one in the morning and I was very uncomfortable. I can handle about 90 minutes with mm-hmm. people yeah. <laughs> and then I'm overwhelmed mm-hmm. um, and really overwhelmed. So mm-hmm. people know that I'll be the first to leave and that if they're coming that I'll, you know, I'll start looking at the clock and I'm really yeah. I'm I'm, fa- I'm family or friend out, but for us, just as human beings, to be thinking about those gatherings and what to do about them, and like if you are at one, and you you think about it for your kids, but also for you. Yeah, I do have to think it's about overstimulating. It. Where can where's a safe place? Make a plan. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. do certain things to help yourself get through those moments, or not, or yeah. bow out. Mm-hmm. But you know again, that idea of like taking back these next couple of months that are coming and make it something that's more than just bearable Mm -hmm. for you and for your kids, but even like for folks without families, just what can you as a human being who's neurodivergent? So it's, it's the extra, extra, what do you do with that? to be safe and sound and content Mm -hmm. because it's also it's more darkness and it's cozier this time of year and what do you want that to look like Mm -hmm. yeah there's this I think the sort of commercial push aspect Mm -hmm. the marketing right around like you said being cozy being connected with your family being like feeling really good like that really like positive like purposeful time to compared to the actuality sometimes of this yeah. feeling like you're on the hamster wheel, just going, 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 going. And I've just found that over the years that really having a really strong plan has helped mm-hmm. me so much. And we have opted out of lots of things like, you know, we're Unitarian Universalists. We don't really attend anymore. Um, we don't do a lot of family things. My kids are no longer in conventional schooling. Right. And so we've opted out, but yeah. we've also added things in to make our lives kind of more connected and slower, right? To really find that slower pace and feel more like we've got this, we're happy, we're good. It's looking how I want it to look. And so I I really think that idea of making a plan ahead of time is just so, so, so valuable and really important. When you said that, what I thought about right away, because we talked about slowing it down Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the coziness and stuff is just grounding ourselves. Mm -hmm. This is a really nice time of year again, that for some reason, the darkness makes me do that more, yeah, but just the like gardens wow. to bed, we're gonna, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just taking it slower and, um, and, and grounding ourselves and being unafraid of deciding what's not possible or mm-hmm. enjoyable and, and taking it off of our plates. Yeah which can be really hard to do, mm-hmm. but is so important. And, you know, I can speak for myself. A lot of my life, I know I talk about my kids a lot. A lot of my life does revolve around them because right. I'm their co-regulator 100% of the time. And to be able to have the energy to co-regulate with two 
dysregulated kids day yeah. in and a day out means that I need to be really careful, right, about what I let in <laughs> mm-hmm. and where my energy is coming from. And I feel like that's one of the stressors of the upcoming season is just people are throwing their energy all over you all the time, right? And it's, and you can kind of choose, are you going to reflect it back and just sort of like give it back to them? Or are you going to absorb it? Or are you going to take it and do something else with it? But it's a lot to process. It's a lot more extra to work through your brain and through your body and to decide what to do with and having some plans in place to automate that process a little bit more can be, has just helped us so much. Like it's just been, it's just been so valuable. The last couple of holiday seasons have been each one has been significantly better than the last oh, one. I like hearing that. I really yeah. like the holiday season. So I'm like pro a little bit mm-hmm. of, of the busy, but yeah. I also thought, I like your story about um, you have, you know, a set amount of, of extrovert time because I have been yeah. known to go to sleep during a party I am hosting. Like I have, <laughs> like I have been known to, if people are still here at 11 to be like, okay, I'm going to bed. Have a good night. Get me if you need me. <laughs> I and, like um, and cause I, I just, I mean, that's the level of opt out. And some people mm-hmm. I get when there's certain situations where that wouldn't be comfortable, but um, having the kind of, the kind of friends and the kind of space and setting the kind of boundaries where you feel very comfortable and safe being like, mm-hmm. I'm going to bed, you know, I'll see you guys <laughs> sometime later. And, ha- and having set that up for myself ahead of time so that people know not to be surprised or worried or concerned or whatever um, is, is one example I can think of, of how it makes that gathering so much easier because I can, I can, I can go to sleep if I need to go to sleep and no one's going to look twice at it. Right. Um, but it's hard to set that up if you're not, if you're just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think <laughs> what helps um, my families, we talk a lot about those shoulds, you know, mm-hmm. the shoulds that'll just get you. And what they do is they take away your life from you. Mm-hmm. And like, I always said, I'm not counting on like this heaven after life. Mm-hmm. This is like my heaven and my hell right now. This is the life you got. <laughs> Depends yeah. on the second, you know, <laughs> like it could be, this is beautiful right now. Mm-hmm. And God knows what's going to happen in a few minutes, you know, but um, so like we get to decide mm-hmm. and, or we can decide that we're going to allow ourselves that permission to do that. And a lot of people are going to try to take that away from us based on our culture or our gender, anything, but like I, I, I'm 59. So it's slipping away. I realize I'm in my, you know, whatever fourth chapter and that I want to be more aware of where I put my time Mm -hmm. and, and it is in my children and now grandchildren, and it is less on the shoulds of society and what they want from us. Yeah, the shoulds are sneaky. We talk about that a lot in my family and and with coaching clients, it comes up all the time because a lot of problems go back to you feeling like you should do something a certain way, right? Um, A host should stay awake. until people leave thinking, that's a beautiful you know cross off the list and I, I i was just like nope i'm not doing that shit yeah um you know but some of them are really insidious right and mm. you were talking about earlier in the conversation that kind of um performance anxiety of mm-hmm. the, the house should look like this the kids should behave like this we as mm. parents should uh kind of control our families or, or and so those should sneak into our that they cause anxiety they cause yeah. this 
feeling like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, even though we're doing beautifully a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, we're just holding ourselves up to expectations that aren't realistic or aren't appropriate for us. There's lots of reasons that shoulds don't work, but no, no, and they don't. And social media, I think made the shoulds gave it a shot of uh, steroids. Yeah. It's like extra higher heights of look at how that family is I had a friend that would get very depressed when she'd see all the good stories about how everyone was living their life and I'm like you have no idea the yelling that took place before that photograph was taken Uh or you know whatever it is it's like everyone or not everyone but many people put that best not even real you know look on those things on those platforms not you have no idea the meltdowns the burnout the pain going on in the background, Mm -hmm. just like every other household. Yeah. It's one moment in a series of moments and it's a carefully curated one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I do Uh, think that social media has just heightened it for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was just thinking back to an old um, situation with the many generations over at uh, San Diego Zoo when my Mm -hmm. kids who are now 21 we're both, um, I don't know, under two and their grandfather lived to take that beautiful family photo, finally had all the grandkids together. And my daughter hit his camera with her head and went sailing down. And my ex-husband said, you know what we're buying when they leave here, right? But it was like all that, all the hell we were all going through about this like perfect moment that he mm-hmm. wanted to have with the kids yeah. in, in a photograph. And really it was everyone yelling at each other. I'm taking the kids off to the, what are those pink flamingos? Oh yeah. <laughs> or the flamingos. Mm-hmm. So my ex can calm his father down and like, but I mean, like if, if anyone would have seen the picture later that I'm sure he finally took, it would have looked like we were just like this beautiful, diverse family, you know, having our time together, you know, and, and little would anyone have known what was happening. That's such a good example. Like, I love that story because it also shows like, to me, it's like, yes, somebody's putting so much effort into getting this image that isn't realistic, but matches society's expectations or goals. But then also if I, you know, in a perfect situation, if you put exactly that much effort into the family connection yeah. and support and actually enjoying being together, the result would be very different, right? Um, so you can have the picture of family unity or you can have actual family unity, <laughs> but oh, the should pushes the you to means, one over the other. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking the picture means, because I, I remember, and I love this man who's no longer with us, but mm-hmm. he'd be like, smile. <laughs> <laughs> You know, geeky, they call them. Yeah, you know, geeky is scary right now. Are you gonna smile? Better smile. Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's such a good story. Yeah, yeah I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> like, no, no, he's a very nice man, but this is his special interest. And we gotta yes, like, no, we gotta it. do it. You gotta pull together, pull it together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pull it together, troops. <laughs> Come on, we can do this. Oh my God. But yeah, uh-huh. it's like it's not about that picture. It's like about those real moments when you're yeah. sitting there and you don't know where your phone is to take a picture of mm-hmm. it. It's just relating to your your child, your friend, your partner, yourself. Yeah. And having that moment that mm-hmm. can be that I try to have those in these winter months of just, oh, just peace right now. There's harmony. I want more of that. I'm thinking about the difference between the traditional Christmas happy family picture 
and what goes on behind getting that picture versus this sort of feeling of connection and peace that ideally I think at least I'm aiming for in Christmas, which involves no cameras. (laughs) None of of me thinking critically or, or carefully about how to organize the children so Mm -hmm. that they look exactly like this. So that, so that, so that it's really about that, like that groundedness, like you were talking about before. And so there's, I, I, I love that metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the difference. That's really great. Oh, such difference in it. What's, what sticks with me right now as you're talking about cameras is when you have that moment, when you're so lucky as to have that moment, it is in here in a photograph that you take with your eyes forever. Yeah. Like you get to, I have a couple of those, you know, the, the 21 year olds came to me at Christmas time, adopted nine mm-hmm. days apart and just being in a room with them by the fireplace, never thought I'd be able to be a mother. And all of a sudden these two babies were with us at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And, and there was no photo of that moment, mm-hmm. but it's there with me forever. Yeah. You know, we can have a flood and lose every photograph, but that one's in here. Yeah. You know? It's gorgeous. <laughs> mm, thank you. We've had so much fun talking today and Danielle and I are hoping that if you, if this struck a nerve with you and you would like to spend some more time with us in the near future, honing in on how you want the next couple of months to look like, getting some skills and meeting with others and kind of just coming together and taking back our holiday. Yeah. Danielle's going to talk a little bit about the details, but we're going to get start getting together in a couple of weeks and talking about this in more detail. Yeah, thanks, Jackie. And so Jackie and I are doing a six-week program, exactly like she said, to support a lot of what's going on on the holidays in terms of skills around sensory management, emotional regulation, and around executive function that really are called <laughs> called to, to arms in the holiday season. Um, if you're interested, I'll put um, some links below. It's going to run every Wednesday. It starts on November 9th and it runs through uh, mid-December. I'll put the dates below. We would love it if you joined us. It's going to be a really good group. You get calls with me and Jackie. You get peer support from the cohort. You get tons of downloads, one sheets. It's not meant to take oodles of energy from you. <laughs> it's it's meant to be something that you can do and really get something out of quickly and end up with a holiday season that feels really connected and genuine and grounded. And we really hope you'll meet us there. We sure do. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Jackie. It was oh, lovely was to talk to you as always. <laughs> Thank you. All right. See you soon.